Bernard Arnault, owner, owner of LVMH and one of the world's wealthiest people, valued at $213 billion, is also known as the wolf in cashmere. Is he trying to make a move for Cartier and Richemont as a whole? Today with me, I have David Hattenschwiller to talk about this. David actually used to live down the street from Richemont and we used to walk by it every single day. David, how's it going today? Doing very well. Thank you so much for having me back. Honestly, it's nice to uh, to be back on set, get away from the hustle and the bustle of the sales floor and get to the to the answers. People want answers. People want answers. <laughs> we have the truth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so there are rumors that he's going after Cartier, going after Richemont as a whole. We talked about this offline where it could potentially be a monopoly and be turned down as a deal. Let's start the conversation with who is Bernard Arnault, why he's known as the wolf in cashmere, and some of the things that he's gotten you know, accomplished in his life and, and some of his strategy, which is really, really interesting. Um, so he started working at his father's construction company as, uh, I guess, a child or a teenager or a young man. Um, in 1976, he convinced his father to liquidate the construction company and to take over Christian Dior. Yeah, which is tough. I mean, how does that happen? Yeah, right. So, hey, pops, uh, I think we need to we need to switch uh, we need to switch directions. Uh, I know we know a lot about construction, but hey, women's leather goods and luxury. Uh, let's uh, take all your hard work, your life yeah. savings, and pour it into basically a financially uh, like desolate brand. And yeah. and I mean, I guess it paid out. In the end, it, so. it definitely did. But I wonder if it wasn't like I wonder if that's an exaggeration where he didn't actually liquidate. Like mm-hmm, if it was like, mm-hmm. hey, pops, can I borrow some money and you know buy this brand now? Uh, a small loan of what was it? A small loan of a million million dollars or you told me that he didn't actually just acquire Christian Dior Mm -hmm. that it was a hostile takeover and one of his you know obviously his first and one of many that Mm -hmm. he's going to have in the future yeah so essentially the the gentleman that 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 owned so I guess he started with Christian Dior first Mm -hmm. and then he was brought in by a gentleman uh Rakamai, I think, is it? I'll say it the English way. <laughs> and uh, this—he was actually the uh, the uh, the chairman and CEO of LVMH at the time. Mm-hmm. So he brought—I um, guess—he saw something in Bernard Arnault that um, that would help prevent a hostile takeover from so, the Moe family, and as well from the Guinness family, right? Because they were um, involved in the uh, in the luxury in the uh, luxury spirits uh, category. At this time, already Arnault had a, a growing brand with Dior, mm-hmm. and he had the money mm-hmm. to come in and sit. Oh, hopefully save our uh, Rakame from being taken over mm-hmm. by Moet Hennessy. Um, and this was, again, where he, I guess where he got the nickname Wolf and Cashmere. He said, absolutely, I'm down, let's do this. Turned over one night and went with Mo and Hennessy um, <laughs> and ended up kicking Rakame out of the company. Right. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's crazy. So he basically got put in a position where he was able to know all the insides of the company and then go to the enemy, essentially change camps and, yep. and use their their leverage to, to, to do a buyout, which is, uh, I think, is, is, is insane. It's, it's funny brilliant, but it's, it's, it's really uh, gutless. So <laughs> yes. the, yeah, the story goes they were sitting there, you know, getting all the paperwork ready to present, you know, him joining LVMH. Um, in the, the fight against Moet Hennessy um, and Guinness. And his lawyer goes to me, no, probably be, you know, an interesting turn of events if instead of joining Rakame, you actually joined, you know, Moet Hennessy Guinness and took over on that end and kicked Rakame out. He was like, you know, yeah, yeah, it's really going against what I was brought in to do, but it's a really good idea. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> if it makes sense, hey, it's not it's not personal, it's just business. But uh, on vicious. A, vicious, 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 yeah. vicious. But on, on a on a personal level, because Rakame, he actually had uh, I guess 
he had uh, precedent to, to have uh, to have uh, Louis Vuitton because he was married to the to the great granddaughter of uh, yeah. of Louis Vuitton, the, of course the uh, the founder of the brand uh, several hundred years ago, and. I mean, just to basically get, you know, essentially your family business and your birthright, not your birthright, but your, some, you know, something from your bloodline mm -hmm. to get that ripped away, is, it's got to be devastating. Well, he, ended, he landed on his feet. He bought uh, Lanvin, right, mm -hmm. which is, which is, you know, a successful French brand. And this is Chevalier. This is the existing, the, the head of LVMH at the time. Correct, yes. That got kicked. No, Rockamay. Rockamay, Rockamay. Rockamay got kicked out. Chevalier passed Chevalier away. was the one with Moet Hennessy and exactly. Guinness, yes. Yeah, yeah, and then he, he passed away, unfortunately. I, he was an older gentleman, but... Uh, and then now it's uh, now it's the Bernal... It's the Arnaud family group that uh, essentially holds... So I listened to this one podcast, mm -hmm. which is an amazing story about mm -hmm. this whole thing, and as, you know, they're, he's negotiating, and as he's telling Rockamay, yes, I'm with you, he's secretly buying up more and more and more LVMH mm -hmm. stock to hold a, a stronger you know, position, um, and then just stabs him in the back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is this has happened as well too with uh, with Hermes as well, where he's buying Hermes stock, and then he just shows up one day. Hey, it's me. Uh, you know, they're kind of. It's kind of like you know your neighbor that you don't want, but you kind of have to tolerate them because yeah. you, there's there's nothing you can do. I mean, he's never going to relinquish those stocks unless you give him an offer. Well, of course, unless he has it all, right? Of course. So, so Arnaud went on to obviously join LVMH and head mm -hmm. uh, LVMH. And acquire numerous brands, including Tiffany and Co., uh, Fendi, Givenchy, Marc Jacob, mm -hmm. um, Fenty as well. Fe Fenty, Fenty by Fenty. Rihanna. Fenty by Rihanna. Actually, Fenty. Really? He bought uh, Fenty by Rihanna. I guess undisclosed amount, but it's the first fashion label. Um, first of all, for a person of color, and the first fashion label in 30 years that they've bought. So it's uh, relatively wow. new. So Fenty Cosmetics and fashion. So, Amazing. Yeah. As far as watches, they have Hublot, they have mm -hmm. Tag Heuer, they have uh, Zenith, Bulgari, Zenith. Zenith. Yes, Zenith as well, and there's a big, big push on their end to um, uh, to kind of uh, popularize Louis Vuitton watches. So they're actually doing high horology now, where you have amazing pieces that you know, you know, really high horology price points. You know, in the hundreds of thousands. I gotta say, the only LVMH watch that I like is their Tambour? digital ones. The digital ones, yeah. okay, yeah, those are those are cool. Yeah, and the little the earbuds and yeah. stuff, but those are those are cool. But yeah, now they're actually what I have to I have to say is that they have like invested a huge amount in in Geneva and you know new manufacturers and and new um, like research and development uh, opportunities for for watchmakers. So it's a plus, right? But uh, at what cost? You know, consolidating and and really. Uh, um, yeah, taking these, I guess, these smaller entities and, and absorbing them in there. Well, umbrella. once you join such a big conglomerate, mm -hmm. you have all their resources and the oh, power yeah. of their marketing team, the power of just how much money they have to spend mm -hmm. on this stuff, and it's kind of easy to grow that brand. Mm -hmm. um, so in 1998, he tried to do the same thing with Gucci. Where yes, so with PPR at the group. So so here, I guess you have these three big uh, three big men in, in the luxury sphere. So you have um, Johann Rupert, which is a group uh, group financier richement. Then you have uh, François uh, Pinault, which That's is exactly how I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, François Pinault, right? Which is prior to that it was PPR, mm -hmm. um, and now it's called Caring. And then you have um, then you have uh, Bernard Arnault, which is uh, uh, LVMH. So yeah, he tried to do a hostile takeover of PPR at the time and uh, they found out about it yeah. you know, they fought hard <laughs> mm -hmm. you know and they obviously they were able to deter his attempts mm. you know and again some of the I'm just trying to remember some of the stuff that I, I heard and, and read about it it was like a fight like mm. you know to the death mm -hmm. almost like oh yeah the, the, those two gentlemen they they're both Frenchmen and uh, Francois Pinot kind of has to 
has to it's not at the level of an LVMH so they're they're very they're bitter rivals bitter bitter enemies right and even so you know having worked in the luxury sphere um, LV people don't get along with caring people at all so we like even even yeah we don't we don't you know socialize we don't <laughs> that's funny yeah yeah it's it's like you know really like one football team against another. We're but it's funny rivals. because I think it was last year that mm-hmm. Gucci was rated as like the top mm-hmm. luxury brand, you know, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, it had more demand than LVMH, any one of their brands, mm-hmm. which was surprising to me because Gucci, you know, think back, you know, five, eight years ago was kind of like a third, fourth, you know, place player. It mm-hmm. wasn't the top. And then their marketing efforts over the last few years, their ambassadors, their, their influencers really, really mm-hmm. knocked it out of the park and, Honestly, it's it's there's been a tremendous transformation with this brand. I'll say it again: Gucci is for the people who enjoy life, who love life, right? Louis Vuitton is a little bit more serious, uh, I would say. Um, but uh, yeah, Gucci is great. I you, you can't go wrong with it. I will tell you that I prefer Gucci shoes to LVMH shoes. Yeah, yeah, or to Louis Vuitton shoes. They're a lot more comfortable. I feel like Gucci knows how to make shoes. They they, they do. I mean, that's leather like shoes and and, and 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 all of that. I guess that was always kind of in their DNA, where LVMH was more Louis yeah. Vuitton was more bags and whatnot. I mean, LVMH or Louis Vuitton actually mm-hmm. started, you know, creating, uh, started going into the fashion items mm-hmm. and the, the ready-to-wear stuff just because Gucci got into mm-hmm. it. Originally, they stuck to the, the trunks and the bags and Correct. all that stuff as well. Um, one thing that you brought up, you know, when we talked offline was that Arnaud is, you know, a very, very educated man, mm-hmm. and he looks, you know, his plan is 10, 15, 20 years mm-hmm. ahead. Mm-hmm. It's not what we're doing tomorrow. It's what we're going to do next decade, um, which brought him to investing in the Chinese market heavily while everybody else was shying away from it. Um, in the early 2000s, you know, they dropped a lot of money into mm-hmm. China, building retail spaces and really bringing up their brand, and that paid off tremendously for of him. Of course. You know, both luxury, you know, fashion as well as watches. Mm-hmm. Yes, of, of course. I mean, they, they, their presence in China is just, is huge. And, and in the early 2000s, it was still a little volatile. Uh, the, you know, the... Um, I would say the the purchasing power wasn't there yet, and now you know their investment has really paid off dividends tenfold. So. I mean, it's funny because like looking back, you're like, mm-hmm. well, why wouldn't you go into a right, space in that has billions of people, mm-hmm. you know, with a lust for luxury? You know, sure, maybe in the early 2000s it wasn't it wasn't as strong. Mm-hmm. They might have not had the same spending power, but relatively speaking. It was still great at that time. So it's funny that they invested so heavily into it, whereas Gucci or other luxury brands have not. Well, it, I guess it helps also the fact that LVMH is also, they also deal with spirits and, and wine. So I guess in yeah. terms of their logistical uh, uh, implementation of their different brands, I mean, they already have the resources there, whereas, you know, Gucci is more so yeah. in, in fashion. But I mean, they, they, I think what's, what I thought was fine, funny is they only have one brand of Baiju. Baiju, like the Baiju, okay. it's like, it is the number one selling drink in in uh, in China. So it's a very strong, like, like clear liquor. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was, what is it called? Mao Tai, I think, which is the number one selling brand of any liquor in the world, right? Uh, it's billions upon billions. This I've is one red bottle. and um, But LVMH, they make their own there, and they do a lot of bottling there as well. So it's, yeah... I guess you know spirits and and uh, and luxury goods. I mean, they go hand in hand. I mean, you can't you can't you can't lose with that combination. I guess that's true. That's why <laughs> Moed, Hennessy, and um, let's talk about his family. Mm-hmm. So you brought up a point that there have been accusations of nepotism in relation to Arnold's children and their mm-hmm. involvements in the business itself. 
um, Arnold, Arnold's daughter. Mm-hmm. Who is she? What does she do? So Delphine uh, Arnault. So she's a uh, um, Bernard. Arnault. So he's had. Uh, he has four children with uh, two separate wives. Now this is like an episode of Succession. Yeah, it, it really is. That's when I was thinking about it. I was thinking about, yeah, I had the uh, Succession music going on in my head while I was reading the, the notes for this episode. So um, so she's actually being poised to be, to take over LVMH. So um, Dior being kind of the, in French we say joujou, which is like the jewel mm-hmm. of uh, of um, of the, his whole portfolio. So now she was appointed CEO of this recently. And, uh, you know, Bernard Arnault, he's 79 years old, mm-hmm. so I, I, I think he's going to work until he can stop. But uh, he's really looking at the next line of succession. So um, you have her, who is, um, she, she's the CEO of Dior. Then you have the Alexandre, yeah. who's a CEO of Berluti, and then uh, Laura Piana as well. Then you have the two youngest, Alexandre and if, Antoine. And, and Antoine, exactly. Antoine, who are, this is where, this is where the little bit of the controversy goes through because I think they're in their, their, their younger 20s. And they're saying, well, look, there's so many more people who might have, you know, you know, worked their whole lives, right, to eventually, you know, rise up within the organization and to basically be undercut by... It's not undercut. I it's mean, not he undercut. built this for he his bu- family. He built it for his family, and, and I'm sure that since, you know, they've been born, they've been groomed to, to, to be in this in this. And who's going to care as much as his own children? Of course, of yeah. course, of course. I mean, there's just some, some like... I guess people are just jumping on bandwagons to to, to, to question some yeah. marketing decisions with especially the brand like Tag Heuer, how it's being a bit um, how it's being a bit dragged through the <laughs> through the mud with you know their all their collaborations with like Mario and just things like that don't Monopoly. really make yeah yeah things that don't really make sense in the grander scheme and are a little bit more niche to to a younger demographic which I guess is who they're kind of going for but um, but you know there are a lot of smart people in this company I know they're doing they, I'm sure they know what they're doing so. So the whispers of Richemont being next on his mm. target list, um, obviously nobody really knows how true this is, but the fact that there are whispers means that it's a conversation that's you know been going on behind the scenes. Of course, of course. And I mean, this is uh, near and dear to my heart because I actually started my career in luxury at Cartier uh, in their boutique in, in the Rue du Rhône. And that was just amazing, just being able to go from, you know, learning like really theoretical stuff at mm-hmm. GIA and in, in books to being in really thrown in the gauntlet where you're seeing like r- priceless pieces, but for Elizabeth Taylor. Anyway, I digress. So um, this is... Um, is this, do you think this is strictly like he's limited to Cartier or he wants the entire Richemont per- portfolio? Honestly, I think he'd buy the world if, if, he, if, That's true. if the regulatory... Uh, I mean, look, Richemont <laughs> has some you know, significant brands. Oh, I mean, um, so going from... So you have, you have Vacheron Constantin, you have... Um, Van Cleef. Van Cleef. You IWC. have Cartier, IWC, Beaumont Mercier, you have... Uh, Piaget. Piaget. Jaeger. Like, yeah, I mean, these are... these the, Like I said, these are really two opposing titans, if you will. So if they were to come together... They would essentially corner the market. That's why I think there'd be there'd be a lot of regulatory pushback yeah. on any type of purchase. And and and, and he I does mean, have the money. He has the money. Oh yeah. But um, he would acquire some high horology mm-hmm, brands. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. and Long I think that Sun, would complement. You know, Panerai, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, Jaeger. Um, but he also acquires, if he does acquire Richemont, he a- acquires an outlet for these things with WatchFinder. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So there will be the retail arm as well. You'll have the manufacturing arm, which is Giger Lecoutre being the, the, the watchmaker's mm-hmm. watchmaker. Uh, I, there, would, there, would be nothing to, to, there would be nothing in his way. What do you think is his goal with, you know, again, because the, the, 
The news that we heard was mm -hmm. more specifically about Cartier. Mm -hmm. He wants mm -hmm. Cartier because it would really work well with his brands. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Tiffany, um, mm -hmm. Bulgari, you know, these are the highest form brands, you know, in jewelry. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, he does get all of these great watch brands. Correct. So I think with I think with with Cartier, it would really give him the trifecta of of of, uh, of a high high watch brand. So not to forget Harry Winston, which is owned by Swatch Group. But uh, here we'd have, you know, essentially Tiffany, which is very very popular in the USA, Cartier, which is world worldwide, and Bulgari, which I guess is really you know central to the European uh, Italian uh, ju uh, jewelry. So. Uh, yeah, it would just be a compliment. There would be something for every buyer, essentially. Let me ask you a question, you mm -hmm. know, just your opinion. We all saw the Tiffany, you know, Patek Philippe um, mm -hmm. collaboration. Why hasn't Richemont done an, a collaboration within, between Cartier and JLC, for example, or Cartier mm -hmm. or Long and Shun Sun? They, these are brands under their management. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't, like, have you ever seen, has there ever been a Cartier watch? Mm -hmm. You know that has been like manu like has been collaborated with. You know. No, Cartier makes their own watches. Obviously, they're great. They, but. they do, but I'd say see, I think the brand as itself is too valuable to be doing any. You, you know, don't they, think they, Tiffany they, is? They don't want to dilute it. No, I'd say Tiffany, but less, right? Because even so, I've heard. So I have friends who work at Tiffany, and I've heard grumbles, grumblings that there's that that it's not it's not it's not peaches and cream there. So there's of there's, course. there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of. Um, there's a lot left to be desired in terms of growth, right? Whereas I think Cartier is just, I think the third most profitable brand in in in, in, uh, yeah. in the watch and jewelry space. So I think it's like 13 billion a year, something crazy like that. But so I don't think they want to, you know, muddle it too much. I wonder. I'm just wondering if it's the fact that Cartier makes watches, produces watches mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. Does that is that a turnoff from them putting Cartier on a Longanson mm -hmm. or on a Panerai? But then then again, take Van Cleef. Sure, they have a few high horology like you know pieces that are mostly jewelry pieces. Mm. They're, they're not known for their watches. How cool would it be to have like a mm. VCA collaboration mm. with, you know, a watch brand? Yeah, so yeah, I guess going into the fact of having like a double signed, uh, yes. you know, piece, that would, that there's, there's value in that. But um, I guess this goes back to like, you know, their traditional, you know, uh, collaboration between Patek and Tiffany. So, and, and what's interesting is that there are actually a lot of salons, Patek salons, that are closing. So you're only able to get Patek uh, Tiffany in only a few select salons. I think in New York. I think from Tiffany itself is like the biggest source. Yeah, it's the biggest source. But yeah, the Tiffany salons, right? So they're actually closing down a lot of them. So I don't know if this is kind of uh, um, foreshadowing like the end of this arrangement or if it's, uh, you know, they're just trying to consolidate power. Me being the marketing genius that I am, <laughs> you know, I think that, you know, if I was, you know, Bernard Alno or, or, you know, one of his top executives, mm -hmm. I would have said, hey, Tiffany and Patek has been working really well for lots of years. Mm -hmm. Why don't we try something new? Why don't we do Cartier and IWC? Why don't we try to do VCA and Jaeger? You know, like, why not try to do a double-signed, you know, limited release? Mm -hmm. It could potentially be a collectible. <laughs> that that would you know, there's an Instagram page. I think it's called the Wrong Watch, mm -hmm. where you know they kind of put like a Rolex logo on a IWC Schaffhausen, and some of the results are actually pretty nice. Uh, shout out to the Wrong Watch, uh, but uh, it's I'd, honestly you're the marketeer, so I, I I can't I can't say. <laughs> would you if you saw one today? If you saw an IWC mm -hmm. that's you know double branded with 
Van Cleef and Arpels, for example. It might actually have like a little Alhambra on the dial okay. or the clasp, or, you know, something to kind of. Super limited run. Yeah. I would be, that would actually be pretty rad. I think it would I'm be pretty cool, lie. right? Yeah, yeah, that would be cool. I know that like in the horology, so you have like a lot of like collaborations, like you'll have like maybe a specific watchmaker that will work on something and, you know, that kind of gives it a, if you know, you know, um, desirability, but uh, something that's a bit more appealable to the, to the masses. Yeah, I think that would definitely work in their benefit. Well, you heard it here first. If it does happen, it's because we got to credit them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want royalty for this stuff. Um, how likely do we think this is going to happen? So they're going to have to jump through a lot of regulatory yeah. loopholes and, and hurdles, right? This is going to be tough, tough. And and also, I don't think it, Mr. Uh, Johann Rupert. I don't think he wants to relinquish power as well because it's basically his legacy. He yeah. built. He didn't build the ground the, the brand from the ground up, but he's babied it and nurtured it to a point where it's unstoppable. Yeah, but for the right price. For the right price. No, we spoke about this even before. Mystery Stern of of, of Patek Philippe. You know, it's a family-owned business. He said, if they offer me ten billion dollars, yeah. I'm not giving relinquishing power. So I think it. You know, for 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 these, you know, these these strong men in in in, in the luxury goods industry, I think it. You know. All of this supersedes a dollar amount. You know, it yeah. really belongs to yeah. legacy, and 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 also, it's also no one wants to get a get away from the table. No one wants to cash out yeah. and then walk away from the from the table. Because what are you going to do after that? That's true. You already have the money. I mean, yeah. but what are you, what are you going to do? You know. Um, yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> it is a legacy, and it is you know taking it to its limits <laughs> is you know what's keeping them young you know, for sure like, for sure what are you gonna do? retire on the beach no. yeah coming to the office every day and coming you know trying to come up with ideas for what are we doing next how are we doing it um i remember at one point i had an investor who didn't need the money but he just invested in my company mm -hmm. because he just wanted to be young he wanted to you know keep the wheels turning mm -hmm. and it makes sense now all right david thank you so much for joining me um Guys, girls, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, please show us some love. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you write a review, uh, like, comment. You know, we want to get your support, and we'll continue doing this every day as much as we possibly can. We're putting in the time. We're putting in the effort. All we ask for is a little bit of support. Thank you very much. We will see you guys tomorrow. Have a great day. Thank you, David. Thank you.